Hi, I'm glad you're here. We're going to talk about a bunch of things today, uh, mostly revolving around the theme of death um, and life. And uh, it's sort of inspired uh, by this week's Parsha and also by uh, kind of the departure of uh, a good, dear, beautiful, fantastic soul and friend, uh, Nicole Cohen. Nicole uh, Bat Shlomo HaKohen. Her soul should have a big elevation, or Neshama should have an Aliyah. And I'm going to just uh, read something. It's actually, if you look on aish.com, A I S H.com, it's there this week. I actually sent it to them um, after, after her uh, memorial service, and, and they're running it this week, and so I'm really happy about that. Because this is something that she wrote um, just for herself. And here, actually, I have a little sheet of it. It was just a private note to herself that she posted next to her bed, handwritten. And she condensed, like, thousands of pages of Torah learning and just put it on this one little sheet. And it was just meant for her. And now it's also going to be in the Jewish Journal this week as well. And so now over a million people are going to see it. And what I love about that is that it, how real it is, because it was just for her. And you see, if something is really real in this world, it lasts forever. That's the greatness of the mitzvahs. I've talked about it many times. You can be alone in your room and say a prayer or give a coin in a tzedakah box, a charity box, and it literally affects the entire cosmos. And here you see she wrote a note to herself and it's all over the world people are going to be reading this. And not only that, it's so awesome that I really think that someone is going to graphically design this a little bit. And it's going to be on walls like sold in gift shops and be a fixture in Jewish homes. I really do. I really do. It has that element of kind of like a Jewish classic. So let me just read it to you. It's called God is Everywhere. My guide, my, my guide to Appreciating God's Gift of Life by Miko Cohen. Hello, Shalom. So she, she broke down kind of life into different categories and just has like a line or two in each category. And again, just what's so great about this, in my opinion, is that it's so, it's so eminently practical. And, and, and so it starts off purpose. Without meaning, our lives are empty. Truth. Stay true. Commit to honesty and truth about yourself and the world around you. Faith. Faith is the base of everything. Faith in Hashem, Torah, Tzadikim, and yourself. Without faith, nothing is complete. Renewal. Today I've lived as I've never ever lived until now. Every day marks a new start. Hope. Never despair. Never give up. There's always hope. If you, can't, if you can spoil it, you can repair it. Joy. Simcha tamid. It's a mitzvah to be joyous. Overcoming anxiety and doubt. In life, we have to cross every narrow bridge. The most important thing is not to be afraid. Patience. Never insist that everything will go just the way we want. Thoughts. Wherever our thoughts are, that is where we are. His bodidu. Keep talking to God. Daily path. You have today, yesterday and tomorrow, pull us back. Adversity. Look for God and have faith. Gamzulatova. All is for the best. And then she ends in caps with a big quote, I will take you along a new path, one that is very old, but completely new. And uh, so there you go. All the different categories, all the different categories. I mean, to me, just it was it, it was an act of greatness just to break up life into these categories. Purpose, truth, faith, renewal, hope, joy overcoming anxiety and doubt, patience, thoughts, 
His bodidu, which means talking to God or meditation, daily path in adversity. That alone was a, was a, was a great scholarly act, if you will. You know, just to, just to categorize, categorize, categorize life into um, those areas and then to give something so short and meaningful in each category. So, uh, my wife already made a copy for my son and my son who's 11, said that he wants to put it up by his bed, like she did. You know, so, I know that this would help me to read every day, for sure. Just kind of keeps you focused. You know, it's, uh, I heard Rabbi Wolfson give this analogy. He said, you know, no one, no one in their right mind, no one with a brain in their head would say something like this. Um, I don't have to eat breakfast because um, I ate breakfast yesterday, right? <laughs> because, well, <laughs> the food that you put, you know, or, or just to go with that, he didn't say this, but, you know, why would I put gas in my tank? I put gas in my tank last month. You, you, you understand, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. There are certain things that in order to keep going need constant refueling. The human body being one of them. The, but but even, even more importantly, the soul being one of them. A person can't say, I, 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 come on, I went to yeshiva, or I studied for years, or I went to a class last month. You know, there's a Torah principle that says, if you leave the Torah for one day, it leaves you for two days. There is a very powerful correlation between putting fuel in the tank, and being able to move forward. These things which seem obvious to us today, while we're immersed in it and learning, will seem absolutely not obvious to us tomorrow, if we don't learn. It's, there's, just this, um, there's just this amazing aspect to this world, like a kaleidoscope, you know? God is constantly turning it, and then it's always looking new. And then you're not able to necessarily hold on to what you had before, because every situation is new. As, as a, a friend of mine, Neil Seidel, once put it, we live in the unprecedented present. The unprecedented present. Meaning to say there are certain things that we've learned which will help us in new situations, but it will always be true that a new situation will seem to defy all the rules. And we know that reality is basically exceptions stitched together. So we never know. It's like, we never know. You know? We always think that we're unique, that we're a special case. Sometimes we are. Oftentimes we're not. You know, it's sort of like, why do I feel so bad? Because you lost your job. Oh, okay. (laughs) You know, in other words, sometimes you just think that you're beyond whatever it is, whatever your situation is, you're beyond. So why would I feel bad? Why do why, I feel really slow and everything like that? You've had the flu for the last three days. Oh, okay. Some people don't think that, that, that things will affect them, but they do affect them. And then other times, because it's normal to affect them. We live within reality. But in other times, sometimes we're just capable of just just exceeding all expectations and things that would bring another person down don't bring us down. So, so reconciling our uniqueness and the fact that we're human beings subject to all the laws of nature and reality and all the rest is a very tricky balance. And the only way to really maintain that balance and to be able to keep our heads above water is really through Torah study. That's the, the main thing. That's our oxygen. I can't, I can't emphasize it enough. You know, it, it feels like a bit of a cliche, although uh, there was a period in time where I heard everyone using this example, but somehow I don't hear people using the example so much anymore. But it's such a good one. Life is an escalator going down. If you stand in the middle of this escalator going down, you will go down. If you put in some effort, you'll be able to maintain your level. That's with some effort. Only with great effort will you actually be able to climb. But if you think that just maintaining my level, I've been to X number of talks or whatever it is, I've read X number of books, that that in itself 
stays with us, that's a person standing still on life, which is a downward escalator. You're just naturally going to go down. There's a gravity that has a spiritual element to it also. Gravity doesn't just pull down physical objects, but this world, which has its own gravity, also pulls us down spiritually. And that's just something we have to keep in mind. Okay, so, so in this week's Parsha, it's Parsha's Chukas. My father actually left the world during this week's uh, Parsha as well. We, we have something very striking, and I, I mentioned this at, at, at Mikol's uh, uh, memorial service. You know, you have uh, every Parsha of the week is what's going on in the world. In fact, I heard Rabbi Wolfson say very deeply, very poetically, really, that the fabric of reality from week to week is stitched together from the letters of that week's Parsha. So that's, that's kind of what we're living with. And they, you know, if you want to live with the times, as they say, you really have to be in tune with what's going on in the Parsha. So every week's Parsha is divided into seven different sections. Um, according to the number of aliyahs, the number of people that are called to the Torah. So seven, seven sections, and there's seven days of the week. So one of the ways that people classically go through the Parsha is each day they'll do the section for that day. Meaning on Sunday they'll do the first aliyah, the first, the first portion, the next day the second portion. And so I thought to myself, let's look into the Parsha and see what... What day Mikol left this world? Like, what, what was going on in the Parsha then? And it's talking about purification from death. And not only that, but it's talking about the nature of death itself. And this is very, very deep. I'm going to tell you where it is. It's within that first aliyah, that first section for Sunday. She left the world approximately 6 p.m. on Sunday. And I'm going to read you this line, which is really a super intense line. Although it sounds very innocent. But when you see what the rabbis do with this line, it's actually quite uh, amazing. So it says, it's a chapter, this is in uh, Bamidbar, Numbers, uh, chapter 19, verse 14. Okay? So it sounds innocent enough. It says, this is the teaching regarding a person who would die in a tent. Okay? And uh, in Hebrew... Zosa Torah, Adam Kiyamuspa Ohel. So this is one of these, one of the most famous phrases in the Torah. And there are many, many, many different levels to it. But I want to kind of zero in on, on, on one. Which is the following. Now, if I underwent this analysis that I'm about to tell you, Maybe you could call it blasphemy or just apicorsis, you know, just, uh, you know, heresy. But this was, what I'm telling you right now is, is the thinking of, our, of our, great, our, our greatest sages. Okay? So, and again, in terms of looking into methodology, it's just... Beautiful just to see how the rabbis are thinking and grappling with a line like this. That, that, um, that this is the teaching, the Torah, regarding a person who would die in a tent. See what they do with this. Just watch how they think. So the rabbis ask a very, very big question. An amazing question, actually. They say, um, they say, uh, wait a second. Our, our tradition is that the Torah was given generations before the creation of the world. The Torah existed, actually they give a number, 974 generations before the world was created. So that's, first of all, like a, a, a way out kind of teaching. What does that mean? And on the most simple level, just on the most simple level, what it means is, is that the Torah is God's will. Okay. And God's will existed, God's will for the world existed before he created the world. In other words, before God created the world, God had a desire for the world. And he created the world out of his desire for the world so that his desire should be fulfilled. 
And that's what the mitzvot are. That's what the Torah is. That's what all of halacha is. And as Reb Shlomo put it so beautifully one time, when you keep the Torah, you dream God's dreams and you pray God's prayers. So it's like you're in sync, you're in harmony with God and creation. Okay, so when it says that the Torah existed before the world was created, that means God's will for the world existed before, before he created the world, which makes sense, which makes sense. In other words, to create something so vast and complex, you need a plan for that, you know? And for it all to gel together so perfectly, you need a plan for that. And that existed. That's the Torah as it existed before the world was created. Okay. And when it says that the angels learned the Torah, see, there's a, there's a, that's, that's, they're, they're learning God's will on the highest level. In other words, the Torah that we have, these five books that we have, that we call the Chumash, that's the infinite compressed into the finite. Okay? But each letter, so to speak, each word, extends all the way up through the heavens. And what it looks like in the heavens, when it's, when it's, when it's existing, these words are existing, they're the same words, the same spiritual DNA. But when they exist in other dimensions, in higher spiritual realms, they look a little bit different. All right? There's a heavenly correlation to this physical world. It's the same Torah. But all of a sudden it gets unpacked in the most amazing ways, right? So, so with that in mind, you can understand something which is a little bit perplexing, which is, which is this debate that Moshe has with the, with the angels when Moshe goes up to heaven to get the Torah. So, so God basically tells Moshe to debate the angels. And you're thinking, wow, this is going to be the showdown of the century, Right? Moshe versus the angels, like matching wits about who should get the Torah? Because the angels are like, you're going to give the Torah to human beings? Are you crazy? Right? Like they're just going to mess up the whole Torah. And so Moshe argues to God, he's, or, or argues to the angels before God. He says, do you get tired during the week that you need Shabbos? Right? Do you have parents that you need to honor your parents? Right? And from my standpoint, as a reader, I'm so disappointed with these arguments. I'm like, that's the best you can do? I, I want to hear like some real like pyrotechnics, you know, like some amazing intellectual back and forth. And what you're saying is, do you have parents that you need the mitzvah of honoring your parents? But the thing was, the angels, now let's turn your perspective like 180 degrees. Imagine you're an angel studying the Torah into the spiritual realms, right? How would you read the commandment, honor your father and your mother? What do you think that looks like in heaven, that commandment, right? And the angels are getting their minds blown. Right! They're human beings who give birth to other humans. Whoa! And you've got to honor the person that you came from? That's so awesome! Like, like they came across as these unbelievable chedushim. From the angel's point of view, these are tremendous new insights because they're all of a sudden hearing the Torah presented to them in the most physical, right, for us, which is very mundane, but from them who don't have bodies, right, physicality is like the most way out concept. So they're hearing like what for us is like one plus one equals two. There's a one? <laughs> There's a two? <laughs> you, can, you can quantify reality with like digits, you know? So, so anyway, Moshe gets to the Torah. Now, so, so let's just review for a moment. We're, we're, we're looking into the rabbi's huge problem. They have a huge problem with this phrase. This is the teaching regarding a person who would die in a tent. So what's their problem? Their problem is the following. The Torah existed before the world was created. Here you see very clearly, death is in the Torah. Now why is that a problem? It's a problem because didn't we learn really clearly that the only reason why death entered into the world was because Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve ate from the tree of knowledge? And that's what brought death into the world? 
But now all of a sudden you're saying that death existed in the world regardless of whether Adam and Chava would have eaten from the tree of knowledge. Meaning to say, it would appear that there was a divine conspiracy that Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, would eat from the tree of knowledge to bring death into the world, which was destined to come into the world. And to support their thinking, they find a source for this, which is Psalm number 66, Samach Vav, verse 5, which, I don't have a um, Tehillim in front of me this, this second, but um, the key word is Alila. Look for that word in, in verse number 5, Alila. Right? Yeah, do you have it right there? So, so, okay, okay, very good, thank you. So it says, Lehu Urau, come and see, Mephalos, the, the wonders, Elohim, Nora, God in his awesomeness, Alila, that's the key word, Al B'nai Adam, meaning in his power. It's sometimes translated as God visit up, visits upon human beings. But Alila, I saw in, in, in another English translation, maybe a little more creatively translated, is divine conspiracies. So, meaning to say that Adam and Chava had to eat from the tree of knowledge. Because this was God's plan for the world. Put another way. They also, the rabbis also bring down on this same word, alila. Right? It's a big word. That Yosef had to be sold down into slavery by the brothers. That it was, that it was, that this was God's plan for the world. And in fact, I kind of put two and two together. I heard a teaching one time from Reb Shlomo, which um, I think he's referencing this word alila. Um, although I, I didn't know it at the time. But I heard him say very clearly that after the brothers sold Yosef, the brothers all of a sudden snapped back into reality and they looked at each other and they said, did we just do that? And then they heard God's voice say, no, I did it. So, you know, gives you the chills, you know. So certain things, certain things. And Rabbi Wolfson brings in also the spies and Moshe hitting the rock. Certain things are, are visited upon us by God. Now, at the same time, though, at the same time, we have to take responsibility. Excuse me. We have to take responsibility for our actions. And it's not going to pass any muster. I promise you with all of my heart and soul that for us, when we stand after 120 before the throne of glory, before God, you know, when we have our basic, you know, when the, when the judgment comes down, basically, and we say, God, you know what? It was you, it wasn't me. God's going to say back to us, no, 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 I get to say that. <laughs> you have to tell me what you did and how hard you tried. You don't tell me it was me. I'll tell you when it was me. So, so... This is a wondrous thing about how God guides reality in certain aspects. But at the same time, we can't really use it as, as an excuse in the present moment. Because we have to take responsibilities for our actions. Now I want to say, and this, I mean this, that it should be a, an aliyah, an elevation for Nicole's soul. Um, uh, without any judgments whatsoever, just as information. She died in an ATV accident. From what I heard, the ATV flipped upside down, and she died on the spot and wasn't wearing a helmet. Um, it's also important to say that this was on private property, and from what I understand, one is not, by law, mandated to wear a helmet on private property. Okay? So... As far as I know, no, no laws were broken. 
and the person who driving it was a friend and only meant her well and was not drunk and just it is what it is. However, we have to not do stupid things. You know, in terms of bungee jumping and skydiving and all these things, you know. A person really wants to do it, ask a Rav. Ask a Rabbi if you have permission. Make your case before him. Say, you know what? This is going to help me live better, whatever it is. And let him say yes or no. But we, we, have, a, we have a level of responsibility in the way we have to live. And we have to take responsibility. We do. We can't say, after the fact, maybe we can say, Alila, you know, but in the moment, we, 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 we just have to be careful, you know, and again, ask a Shiloh, ask a rabbi, you want to do something nuts, ask a rabbi, if he says, you know something, I, I've done it myself, I know that it's safe if you go with a proper instructor, go ahead, there are a lot of cool rabbis out there, you know, but, but you should ask as a way of honoring Nicole, and as a way of really taking proper responsibility ourselves. Um, so I'll tell you something else about this, this um, amazing, amazing series of lines that she left the world on. It's also purification from the impurity of death. You know, that's what the ashes of the red heifer are. That we leave, that, that, that the impurity of death is, is, is taken away from us. And why, why, you know, someone asked me a question, which was if you, if, this person said, well, shouldn't death be a good thing? Like, why would there be an impurity to the body? Like, because we have something called tumas mace, which means, mace means like a dead body, and tuma is spiritual impurity. So there's a tuma attached to a body when it no longer has a soul in it. And they were saying, spiritually speaking, isn't this a wonderful thing? Like the soul is ascended? Well, the soul is ascended, and that is a wonderful thing. But what about the body itself? Why would there be impurity attached to the body? And it's just like, here was the answer that I gave them, just kind of on the spot. This is kind of what came out of my mouth, but I've been thinking about it a lot, and I I want to share it with you. Imagine you've got like a camera, like a really advanced camera, like, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Some of these cameras are like, you know, really amazing. So you've got one of these amazing cameras and it's broken. It just, it doesn't work anymore. You know what? If I look at that camera, you know what my reaction is? If I owned it and I paid tens of thousands of dollars for that camera and it's absolutely broken, I'm like, I am angry at that camera. (laughs) You know what? That camera is a testimony to something that should be working and is absolutely not working. You know, it's like worse than just a rock sitting on my desk. It's way worse because you see all the wondrous things that it can now not do. Right? And it's sort of like that is the human body. The human body is like this incredible, this incredible, like, you know, Disneyland's times a billion, what the, what the body is doing every single moment. All the rides that the blood gets to take, you know, it's like, you know, it's just like amazing what's going on in the body every single moment. And then all of a sudden, without a soul, the body, you want to hear something really like strong? The body begins to stink, right? They talk about the stench of death. Now, why would that be? Okay, so if you don't wash after a while, even with a soul in our bodies, we, we begin to emit something semi-unpleasant. But I don't think it's on the level of what they call the stench of death, right? Like, I don't think I've ever smelled that. I think I would remember. But people talk about it, and they write about it. It's a real thing. It's not made up. So I think that the reason is because there's something, there's something problematic about a body that's not doing what it's supposed to be doing this wondrous thing that's not doing what it was made to do. So there is this aspect, if you think about it, of impurity, of death, that comes to the body, which actually, to me anyway, I don't know if this resonates with you, but to me it it has a certain logic to it. Because it's a testimony to something that's not doing what it it could be doing, what it was created to do, which is to give an interface for the soul 
with this physical realm. That's what the body is. It's an interface for the soul to be able to have cause and effect in this world. So now, we have something called the ashes of the red heifer. And the ashes of the red heifer come and remove this level of impurity. If someone comes into contact with the dead, I want to paraphrase something that I heard from Yitzhi Rohatner on, in the name of the Berditchever Rebbe on Shabbos. Basically, he said, in the name of the Berditchever, that the soul is constantly attached to God and is, is constantly tasting the sweetness of God. But the body, not as much as the soul. And so, as a result, there's a bit of a back and forth, a bit of a battle between the body, which isn't tasting the sweetness of God to the level that the soul is tasting. Right? So, so when a person comes into contact with a dead body, that dead body, which never really experienced God on the same level as the soul did, is now kind of like, it's a bit of a turnoff. Like, can you imagine, like, you meet, like, an atheist who's, like, super smart, and they give you some arguments, and all of a sudden your, your, your brain gets confused, right? You know? It's like, well, is he right? Is that, ah, I'm a little bit thrown off right now. So, on some level, if you encounter a dead body, it's like meeting a very smart atheist. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because the body doesn't experience God on the level that the soul does. And now when you just have a dead body in front of you, without a soul, it's kind of having a conversation with you. Like, is this all there is? Right? Like, what's going on? So there's a certain impurity which gets transferred to the person who interacts with it. And there's even an impurity that comes from a person who interacts with a person who interacts with it, who interacted with a person who interacted with it, who interacted with a person who interacted with it. Meaning to say, there's certain laws of ritual impurity, which after a few generations, meaning to say, I would say, I touched something or whatever it is, or I came into contact with something, and then I touched this chair, and then you sat in the chair, and then someone touched you after you sat in the chair. Well, after a certain point, it just kind of dissipates and goes away, and it's not transferable, right? But there's other forms, like Tumas Mace, which remains contagious, it, may, it remains active. And so everyone, according to the rabbis, everyone right now has this quality of Tumas Mace. Every single person. Because everyone has touched someone who has touched someone at, at some point. We all have it. So... So I heard in a talk, and I don't remember from whom, but you know, you hear something like this, you don't forget. That the Chidush Rim, who was the first Ger Rebbe, one of the greatest Hasidic masters, once was sitting during Parshas Para. Parshas Para is, as we lead up to Pesach, to Passover, there's four weeks where we read special portions from the Torah, kind of like a little greatest hits kind of thing, leading up to Pesach, so that we're like, like really ready for Pesach. So, Parsha Shakalim, Parsha Zachor, Parsha Para, and Parsha HaChodesh. Okay, Parsha Para is when we read this section, which is in this week's Torah portion, Parsha Chukas, a little excerpt is taken from it, and we read this section, which is the section we call Left the World On, um, talking about being cleansed from the impurity of death, the ashes of the red heifer. Now, while Parshas Para, this section, was being read, the Chedush Rim turned to someone that he was sitting next to and he said, you know what? It would be very good to leave the world while this is being read. Meaning to say, like, can you imagine, like, this is like what's going on in reality right now purification from the impurity of death to actually leave the world during that moment would be like an awesome cleansing of the soul. That's what the Chidush Rim was saying. 
Years later, he left the world while Parshas Par was being read. And years and years and years later, Mikol left the world on the day that it's read as well. The day that corresponds to the day she left this world, right? So that's an awesome cleansing. That's an awesome aliyah, an awesome elevation for Mikol. Yeah. Yeah, it's really striking. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful. Um, I wanted to say the following. This world is like a trampoline. And what I mean by that is when I say this world, I mean this physical dimension that we inhabit. That's what I mean by this world. This world is like a trampoline. Now, what happens on a trampoline is, as you know, you you, you jump up and down. And the, the higher you jump, the more leverage, so to speak, you get. You go down further into the trampoline, and then that lifts you up even higher. Okay? So, the higher that we go, meaning to say, the more good that we do in this world, right? That lifts us up. And then that gives us, like, the the traction to go up even higher, okay? And and so that's the dynamic between this world and the next world. The more we do in this world, which is like a trampoline, it allows us to go higher and higher up after 120 into the next world. Is that clear? That bit of imagery clear? Okay. But there's this friction component. There's this friction component. And... To make what I'm saying more clear, I want to reference another teaching, which is a a bit of a shocking teaching on some level, but it's consistent with everything we're learning. So, on the six days of creation, um, maybe it's the seventh too, I don't know, but certainly in the six days of creation, uh, God, there's a refrain in the Torah, which is, God created this and he saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. Okay? And it's a, it's a refrain. On Monday it doesn't say it, but on Tuesday it says it twice to make up for Monday. So that's, that's a whole discussion in itself. But then on the sixth day, after human beings are created, it says God saw it and it was very good. Tov ma'od. And this phrase, very good, tov ma'od, is not used at all on any other occasion. And so the Medrash Rabbah has a whole long chapter looking into all the different explanations of what this word ma'od, very, means. What does very mean? And one of the most amazing explanations is from Rebbe Meir. And he says the following, tov ma'od means death. So you're like, whoa. Death is good? He's saying death is good? And the answer is yeah. That's what he says. So how is, how is that the case? So you can give a thousand, a thousand answers to that, right? But let me just give one. Connecting it back to this idea of the trampoline, if you will. Which is, death gives us a deadline. And it tells us that we've got a certain amount to get things done. And if, if we don't use it, it's not going to happen. And, you know, there's a famous thing in, in like business management circles, which is that if you want to get something done, give the job to a busy person. Right? Because if you give someone a job who has all the time in the world, the job is going to take all the time in the world for it to get done. And I know this from my own life. This is, I know that that's true. And for us, if God gives us a deadline, in the, in the realest sense, we're going to get things done and we're going to do good. And that friction that's created is that, that hitting of the trampoline is that what allows us to actually go up higher. 
because there's that friction, because there's that deadline, because there's that interaction, because we're butting up against death. That's our feet hitting the trampoline. We're butting up against death all the time. That allows us actually to go higher and to do more. It's interesting that the Parsha of death, Chukas, begins with the letter Ches. Ches is the number eight. Eight stands for that which is one above seven. Seven stands for the natural world. Eight stands for that which is, we say in Hebrew, Lamala min hateva, that which is beyond nature. It stands for the infinite. And as different people have pointed out, if you turn the number eight on its side, that actually is the mathematical symbol for infinity. So eight in Torah thought, like Hanukkah, for instance, right? It's, it's always hinting at the supernatural, the beyond this world. And so, so it's interesting that this Parsha of death, Chukas, begins with this number eight. Because the soul keeps on going. It keeps on flying. And if you think about it, the soul is eternal. It keeps on going. Life in this world is our chance on the trampoline to just get as high as we can for the eternity of our life. If you kind of look at it in the macro sense, if our souls are eternal, our life in this world, God willing, we should live to 120, is exceedingly short, (laughs) is exceedingly short compared to that which is eternal. But what you get is just life. You got life in this world, you get life in the next world. It's all life. So you realize that death itself is the slimmest chapter. I mean, if you have like a massive book, the de- death is one page. You know, like early on actually, early on in the book. <laughs> one thin sliver of a page between life and eternal life. It's all it is. Is really All there is is life. The body is very much of a P.S. It really is. It really is. You know, chukas, a chok, is that which is above the rational. You see, we have two aspects to our mind and two aspects of reality. We have the rational mind, which can comprehend a certain amount, great amounts. If you think of like the inventions of supercomputers and, 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 you know, just, you know, subatomic whatnots. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, just like just what the human mind is capable of doing and massive creativity, the works of art, right? But it's limited compared to the infinite mind of God. It's utterly finite compared to the infinite mind of God. And then we have, so the the rational mind can grasp a lot. And we fool ourselves into arrogance. Because we think we know so much that therefore we must know everything. And if I don't know it, it must not be true. And if I can't prove it, it must not be true. It's superstition. It's silly. That thought itself is silly. I mean, it's just, it's utter arrogance. We, we, we think that if we can't comprehend it, the infinite with our finite mind, that the infinite therefore doesn't exist, then why would we even be able to comprehend the concept of infinity? So you have something called the super rational. That which we know exists, but the mind can't, can't wrap its mind around, so to speak. Chukas, a chok, means the super-rational. And again, isn't it compelling, interesting, that it begins with that letter ches, which is the number eight, meaning to say that, that wisdom goes on and on and on and on. It begins in the rational mind, but it doesn't stop in the rational mind. It makes that leap to the super-rational, and it keeps on going. So the chukim the, the, is something that we can't completely understand, but they've been communicated to us by God. You see, the mitzvot are like the most awesome presence. Each one 
is the biggest gift because God wraps in it, condenses in a mitzvah something physical, something with a handle on it. We can hold on to it. But at the same time, it reaches beyond this world, beyond this dimension. And it's all packed up nicely for us in the form of a lulav, in the form of candlesticks, in the form of Shabbos, in the form of matzah, in the form of tefillin. Right? Like you think it's just something you're holding? Well, in this world, yeah, but it reaches all the way up to the next world. There are amazing things in the mitzvahs. In fact, one of the great teachings, I don't know who says it, but it's a very old teaching, very amazing teaching, is if you look at the word mitzvah and you divide it into two parts, okay? You have mem tzadi, vav Now remember, the, the infinity of God is expressed in his holiest name, yud and hey and vav and hey, also known as the shem habaya or the tetragrammaton, right? God's holiest name, okay? Now there's a system of letters exchanging letters, you know, I don't want to go into the, the, the whole thing of it, called Atbash. And it, you basically take the letter from the opposite side of the alphabet. I know I'm not explaining it so clearly, but you can look it up. Atbash. It's from the Gomorrah. And you flip them around, and it gives you another whole insight into the word or into the letter. So if you, the correlating letter for Mem of Mitzvah, just of Mem in general, is Yud. The correlating letter for tzadi is hey. And so the word mitzvah, the first two letters in atbash are yud hey. And of course, the last two letters in this realm of the word mitzvah are vav hey. So the word mitzvah is actually the name of God. But it's the name of God in the most awesome way. Because basically what it's doing is it's reaching to the next dimension and connecting it down to this dimension. And the word tzivui, tzavah, means to connect. That's the root of the word mitzvah. Because each mitzvah is connecting heaven to earth. That's what's going on. And you see it in the letters themselves. This is just another taste of the infinity of Torah. So, so let me just, let me just wrap it up. Maybe I'll just tell you one, 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 one last thing. I mentioned it actually in Nicole's memorial. And uh, my wife was cleaning out her refrigerator. This was on Monday. She left the world uh, Sunday, Nicole. And uh, she was there with some of Nicole's friends. And they're looking at the refrigerator. And my wife said, you know, there's something strange. Something strange. And she was trying to put her finger on it. And she said, everything is so new. And then someone said, and they were looking at this thing of yogurt. And the, the person said, that's because she bought it yesterday. You know? So, there was something almost chilling about that. That, that you know, you imagine her buying the yogurt, but never eating it. You know, and what does that mean about us? What does that mean every moment, every day? So, I, I mentioned, you know, we were talking before the talk, one of my favorite uh, singer-songwriters, Warren Zevon, and he was terminal when he recorded his last album, and so a lot of it is about death and some very amazing, beautiful songs. And I think the title of the album is Enjoy Every Sandwich. And, uh, you know, we're always praying for all these certain things. And then if we thought about it, most of what we're praying for, most, most of what we're praying for, we actually have right now. You know, meaning to say, let's say we need a job, but do I have money to pay my rent this month or this week? Or am I still in my apartment anyway? What I'm trying to say is that our needs are real and God should bless us and we should anything we need, he should bless us with and we should have it. But what I'm trying to say is, is that if you, if you think about it, let's say I need a job, but am I hungry right now? Well, I'm not really hungry right now. 
Let's say I wanted to get something to eat. Could I pay for it right now? I, I could pay for it right now. So if you think about it, in the moment, most everything that we want, we actually have. Most everything. You know, I, I, I want a husband, I want a wife, I want a kid. But at this moment, am I okay? Yeah, at this moment I'm okay. So, so let's allow ourselves to receive. Let's allow ourselves to receive what's being given to us moment to moment by the most awesome, gracious, wonderful God in the world. Um, and uh, I just want to say one last thing. Just something else that I heard uh, Yitzi Rohatner say yesterday, which I, I really loved. He was saying that, you know, imagine you go to someone's house and they, you have like, they, they have a dish that's delicious or like a cake or something like this. And you're like, this cake is so good. I'm loving this cake. It's fantastic cake. This cake is amazing, right? That's one level. You're blowing your mind at how good a cake it is, right? But you know what a whole other level is? When you ask for the recipe for the cake. Right? It's not just enough that you're enjoying it in the moment. You want to hold on to it and keep it and do it yourself. Right? So he was making the connection to really spirituality. Like it's one thing you get touched or you get affected in the moment. You read something, you hear something. It's wonderful. And then human beings being human beings, we move on. Right? Back to quote unquote real life. Right? This is real life, by the way. But back to what we imagine to be real life. But then, there's a whole other level where you ask for the recipe. <laughs> where you want to be able to do it on your own and to keep it going. And that's our job. That's our job. To maintain this level of consciousness and to treasure every single moment.